Thank you. Thank you. You know, we started this three weeks ago and we heard from John Bevere last week. If you weren't here last week, you didn't hear that message. You got to go online, listen to that message, download the River Valley Church app, get a hold of it. Um, but I was able to begin this message here at the Minnetrista, or this series at the Minnetrista campus three weeks ago with a message on Philippians chapter one. Then Pastor Rob picked it up and he preached a sermon on Philippians four, uh, verses four through seven, which says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. We've gone over this, that Paul wrote this book, uh, this letter to the church in Philippi. He wrote it while he was in prison. He wrote it uh, to the church that he started. It was the first church that he started as an apostle. Uh, we read about it in Acts 16, that the church started in Philippi. And he was the one that pioneered and started that church. And so it's a thank you note. And it's a note that he writes to some dear friends. He, it's a note that he, that he uh, pens because he's thankful for their support. He's thankful for their friendship. You can feel the love when you read it. You can feel the encouragement. You can feel that Paul's heart was warm as he was writing this. And um, I, you know, I love, I, I got to tell you, I, I've never written a, like a handwritten note to any of my friends, <laughs> but I text them and I call them. And in my iPhone, I have my favorites, right? And in my phone app, in the actual phone app, you know, my phone is like, so we call it our phone, but it's literally like a little mini pocket computer if we're all honest with each other. But in my phone app, in my favorites, I have Katie's in there twice. It's her cell phone and her work number. I have, I have both moms, my mom and my mother-in-law, right? My father, I got my family. And then I have, uh, the miniatrista staff. I have the staff and I'm texting them at all, all the time. Like pastor Dave, stop texting me. It's literally Friday. I've been working all week. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, then I have my friends and, and, and I, in the, in the contact list, my friends, I talk, there's some that I talk to weekly. There's some I talk to monthly. There's some I talk to seasonally. Okay. But every single one I pick up where I left off. And maybe you have some friends like that in your life where you haven't talked to them. You haven't seen them in a while and you pick up where you left off. And I have one, it's kind of like my monthly friend, right? I, I, he calls, you know, we'll call each other like once a month and catch up on life. And it was a couple Fridays ago, I was with my daughter Everly and my son Judah was at school and Friday is my day off. So I'm with Everly all day. And so like, it's our date day. And he called me and I I had my AirPod in and I'm talking to him and Everly and I are at Starbucks. Now my daughter, every time we go to Starbucks, she loves getting the pink cake pops. You know what the cake pops are? They're like lollipops, but instead of a lollipop, it's a, literally just cake. And she gets the pink one because everything has to be pink for her. She loves pink. And, but the earlier that morning, she had already had a treat. And who knows, we're a one tree today family, okay? Sometimes we're a two tree today, but most of the time we're a one tree today family. And she gets in line and I'm talking to my friend, Sam, and I'm ordering and I'm talking to him and I'm talking to the barista, I'm talking to Evie, I'm all over the place. My attention's everywhere. And Evie's like, can I get a cake pop? And I go, yeah, you can get a cake pop. And then I was like, hey, what flavor cake pops do you have? Cause I'm like, I think I'm gonna get a cake pop. I already had a treat that day. And I'm like, and in my ear, my friend Sam, who I've known for over 10 years, goes, Dave, you don't need that cake pop. And I'm like, excuse me? And he goes, dude, you don't need the cake pop. Like, settle yourself. I go, 
Evie, we're not getting cake pops. Uncle Sam's right. And so he challenged me in that moment and we hung up the phone and I'm sitting there drinking my coffee and Evie's, you know, having her water. We're having a little date. And I'm like, man, this would be so much better if I had a cake pop. <laughs> but my friend challenged me. My friend called me up in that moment. He, he knew what I was doing. He knew what I was thinking. And he knew that it'd be better if I didn't get that cake pop. And here we have a couple verses where Paul's going to pick up where he's encouraging his, his friends. He's calling them up. And so we continue in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write at the top of your phone or the note or whatever, the connect card that you turned over and you're going to write on, right at the top, pay attention, pay attention. That's what I'm calling this. And if you're not taking notes, you can write at the top, pay attention. No one? All right. Did you guys catch it? 830. Let's go 830. Verse 8. Paul, I'm just going to kick in. I'm going to just go through these verses. I'm just going to take this kind of section by section this morning, these two verses. And the first thing that Paul says, whatever is true and whatever is honorable. Who knows, man, we live in a time when truth and lies have never been more blurred. It's so hard to know what's truth, what's a lie, what's real news, what's fake news. But this isn't new. This isn't a new thing that the humanity has been going through. Pontius Pilate, before he condemned Jesus to the cross, he asked Jesus point blank, what is truth? And if you want to know why I'm a follower of Jesus, if you want to know why I think Christianity has not only started and continued, but flourished and grown all over the world, it's because of the truth that Jesus was a real person. Think about it. He's not some imaginary Bible character. He's not this far off God. Jesus was a real man who walked on planet earth 2000 years ago. There is no, like, there is no credible historian that would deny the fact that Jesus was a real person. So he, he's real. And then you have to come to grips with what Jesus said and what he did. If he was a real person, you have to maybe look into, well, what did Jesus say and what did he do? And oftentimes people say, well, Jesus was a prophet. He was a man of God. He was a wise teacher. He was a healer. And Jesus was all of those things. But Jesus did not leave us the luxury to just sit there and think that he was a wise person. Jesus, in fact, claimed to be God and claimed that he was the only access way to God. In John 14, 6, it says, Jesus said, I'm the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus doesn't leave us. He doesn't leave us the option to say he was just a wise person or he just was a prophet. You have to come to grips with he either was a liar and he, and he knew he was a liar and he claimed he said that and he was a liar, which would not make him a good person. He, or he's a lunatic, which like if he said that and actually thought it but wasn't, he'd be a lunatic or he's Lord. And Jesus right here says, I'm the way and I'm the truth. So when Paul is telling us to think whatever is true, I believe that that statement has to begin with thinking about Jesus because he is the truth. He's the truth of God. He is the truth of God. And can I just tell you, real truth never lets you down. 
Real truth is stable. It's secure. It's a firm foundation. You can bank your life on it. And when you know the truth, the truth sets you free. The truth sets you free and it brings clarity to your life. Biblical truth, whatever is biblical true, it has to conform with the message and the person of Jesus Christ. It has to. And so if Paul's telling us to think about whatever is true, that means that I believe that as human beings, you and I have the tendency to think about oftentimes what is not true. And we have to put a line in the sand. We got to say, this is truth and this is a lie. I am standing on and I am believing in truth. And he says, think about what's ever honorable. When I read honorable, I think of what Paul said, that whoever uh, is due honor, give them honor. Whoever, whoever um, is worthy of that honor, give them that honor. And so when Paul's thinking, think of whatever is honorable, I think of the leaders in my life that are worthy of the honor that they have, that they operate in because of their, uh, because of their authority in my life. Um, honor just means to, to give to someone um, and to think of them in a way that makes them treasured, that they're treasured to you. So I think of the leaders in my life. I think to the Philippians, when Paul's thinking whatever's honorable, I believe for a moment they're like, man, we got to be thinking and praying for Paul more because he's worthy of the honor. He started our church. He's giving his life for the message of Jesus. I think of the leaders in my life who believed in me, spoke life over me, corrected me, ultimately pointed me to Jesus. I think about my pastor growing up, Pastor Jack Perrin, um, at the church in Indian Prairie that I grew up in. I, I get, whenever I think about him, I give him honor and I think, man, what a, what a great man of God. I, my hunger and thirst for knowing God's word and studying it and, and, and just being consumed by it, I get a lot lot from him because he was such a student of God's word. Um, I would just encourage you, text a leader in your life today and tell them you're thinking about them and you're praying for them. Text someone that maybe they're currently in your life or maybe they've, they're for a past season, they were in your life, they made an impact on your life. Text them, think about them and thank God for them and think about the ways of their life and consider the outcome of their life and, and, and seek to strive after that. In verse eight, Paul goes on, he says, whatever is just and whatever is pure, whatever is just. The Greek word we have here for just is uh, dikaios, which is righteous, biblical righteousness. And whenever I think of that word biblical righteousness, I'd always think about how right I am. Like when I think of God giving me righteousness, I think about just in, in Jesus Christ, the right standing I have in God. And it means that, but it means more than that. You see, biblical righteousness is not just about how right you live, but it's how right you treat people. Think about God's righteousness, that in his righteousness, he loves you and he cares for you and he reaches out to you despite your past, despite your mistakes, despite your upbringing. Jesus uh, is the righteousness of God and Jesus's whole mission was not to just live perfectly, but to bring us into perfect union with God. So that righteousness means not just how right we live, but how right we treat people. And then Paul says, whatever is pure, 
whatever is pure. Now, Paul, when he's saying whatever's pure, he's not only speaking of sexual purity, although that is part of it, but he's thinking of uh, whatever's pure in thought, whatever is pure in speech, and pure in action. When I think purity, I think the laughter of a little child. There's almost nothing more pure in the world than the, than the pure, innocent laughter of a little kid. Like when I tickle my little three-year-old daughter and she just belly laughs, I just, it brings joy to me. It just, it's so pure. And what is, when, when Paul's writing purity, he would often, he, he, I think he had in his mind um, the definition of purity in Judaism, which when it was, when something was used ceremonially, it describes that which has been so cleansed that it's fit to be brought into the presence of God and used in his service. It's just, it's pure, it's holy. So whatever is pure, think about that. And then next he says, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, lovely, not what is only morally lovely, but I think also what is aesthetically lovely. When I think of aesthetically lovely, I think of a garden that has just been weeded. I hate weeding so much. Does anyone like weeding in here? Is anyone that's like, do you just like one per one person. I so appreciate that you love weeding because how satisfying is it to look at the garden when all the weeds are clear, right? It's lovely. Um, how about this? A sunrise in your deer stand, a deer hunting opener. It's, it's lovely. Just, it's peaceful. It's amazing. Uh, I think when I think of lovely, I think of a date night with my wife, getting away, no kids, having dinner somewhere cool and, and just holding hands and just hanging out. It's lovely. Um, can I tell you creation, we can get so many great experiences and understand the characteristics of God by just spending time in creation. It's lovely. And can I tell you some of the most impactful experiences in creation I've ever had in my life have been in, 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 in experiencing God in his creation. I think of the time I saw a seahorse scuba diving when I was in Barbados. I saw a seahorse in the ocean, just not in an aquarium. I saw a seahorse in the ocean. It was wild. It was so small. The ocean so big. How could I see something so small in such a big ocean? God, you're amazing. I think about when I was in Ghana, West Africa, and I was sitting out looking at the African wild uh, environment, and, and they call it the bush. It's where all the animals live. It's in the bush in Ghana, West Africa. And we sat on this ledge, uh, the side of the cliff, overlooking the African expanse. And at sunrise, we saw a family of elephants come out into the clearing and walk into the clearing. And I got another story about those elephants, but it was amazing. I circle of life is going through my head like, I'm not going to continue. But that's what I, it just was amazing. It was lovely. I think about seeing the stars at night while camping at the bottom of the Grand Canyon and never seeing the stars so vibrant and clear. And can I tell you something? All three of those things have happened on global teams in my life. And so quick plug, I'm leading Global Team Cyprus next May 2020, Mediterranean Island, and you should come with me. I got a spot for about 20 people. Are you in? You in? Who's in? Any takers? All right, we'll talk after service. You got to go. You got to go. It's lovely. Experiencing God's lovely creation. And then Paul says commendable. Conduct that is worthy of recognition. I think of good work. 
I think of good work. Think about the good work that others have done. Think about the good work your kids have done at school. Think about the work that your team has accomplished with that project. Paul's thinking like, man, good work is something to think about. And we think God created us to work. Work is not a result of sin. Work was established before man ever sinned. God said, this is, the, this is the creation. Take care of it. Name the animals. Have dominion over it. Work is part of uh, the created order that God established for us. So think about that good work. Think about how good it feels to accomplish something. It's commendable. Now, these six adjectives that Paul talks about in verse, in verse 8, they're representative. They're not exhaustive. You know, it's not, it's not only those six things. Paul's saying, hey, this is think along these lines, but then Paul concludes, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise. And these last two uh, statements provide a catch-all to saying, man, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things often. And I just want to speak to the perfectionists this morning. Are there any perfectionists in here that would love to confess this morning? I'm a perfectionist. I'm a perfectionist. Jesus name. My wife's a perfectionist. I'm not a perfectionist. I'm a, that's good enough. We'll figure it out. You know, but my wife is a perfectionist. And I just want to say something to the perfectionists this morning as you read this. When Paul's saying, think about if there's anything with excellence, a perfectionist could read this and use it as an impetus to keep being unreasonably in pursuit of perfection. Unreasonably in pursuit of perfection. And Paul's not talking about what you can make excellent. He's talking about what God has already made excellent. Think about those things. Think about those things. And in verse eight, he says, think about these things. He's writing to a church that he considers our dear friends. And I think he's focusing on teaching them to battle worry and anxiety and impure things. And can I just talk about worry for a second? Do you know how you battle worry? It's not about like thinking about worrying. It's like, okay, I'm just not going to worry today. Today, I'm just not going to worry. I'm going to wake up and I'm on my drive to work. I'm not going to worry about the traffic. I'm not going to worry about the meeting. I'm not going to worry. If you just always are telling yourself you're not going to worry, guess what you're going to do? Worry. If you think about not doing it all the time, then you're just going to do it. And so you can't just not try to not, you can't just try to not worry. You're, you have to battle worry with the opposite. And I believe the key weapon that we have to battle worry is our thoughts. It's our thinking. It's like a pastor says, some people assume worry is the result of too much thinking. Actually, it's the result of too little thinking in the right direction. If you know who God is and understands his promises, his purposes, and his plans, it will help you not worry. And now you might be sitting here today, this morning, and be like, Pastor Dave, are you literally telling me just to think positive this morning? Yep, I sure am. We need to think positive. We need to think positive. And can I, can I just posit to you this morning that maybe you could benefit more from more positive thinking in your life? You think about truth. You think about that which deserves honor. You think about uh, just things. You think about purity, things that are lovely, things that are commendable, things that are excellent, things that are worthy of praise. 
Yeah, we do, as believers in Christ, need to think more positive. We do. We give too much time to negative thinking. We give too much time to worry. We give too much time to sarcasm. And it's time this morning that we say, you know what, as a follower of Jesus, it's going to be positive thinking. Proverbs 37, or sorry, Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. As a person thinks within himself, so he is. Dr. Carolyn Leaf is a neuro, uh, neuroscientist and has been in the study of how our thoughts change the physiological makeup of our brains. It's called neuroplasticity. I'm crushing the hard words today. Thank you, Jesus. Neuroplasticity, meaning your thoughts literally change the physical composition of your brain. Paths of neurons. It's true. It's science. Ever since they've developed brain scans, they've been able to see and prove the effects of positive thinking has. And we can, I don't have to, I don't have to explain this anymore to you other than to tell you this principle. It's called the Batter-Mainhoff phenomenon. Now, a couple years ago, my wife and I made the amazing decision to buy a minivan. And yeah, yeah, we are one of those minivan families. So three, was it three or four years ago, uh, my father-in-law found a steal of a deal on a minivan in Stillwater. So I drove to Stillwater, had a buddy drive me to Stillwater, saw the van, test drove the van. It was a gold Honda Odyssey. Still have it to this day. Yes. Any Odyssey Odyssey people in the place? Okay. Can you and I start something? I want to start waving to other parents that have Honda Odysseys. I want to establish the Odyssey wave. You know, you know, you see like motorcyclists, like they always do like the, you're like, what, anyone drive a motorcycle or ride? Yeah, it's this, right? It's like the little like, hey, what's up, motorcycle. I want to start the Odyssey. What's up? Because there's so many of them everywhere but I didn't know that until I bought one. I'm driving back from Stillwater. I'm like, man, this is a cool Odyssey. There's an Odyssey. Oh, wow. All right, there's another Odyssey. Honda Odysseys are everywhere. I see it everywhere. And why did I notice it? It's the bader Mainhoff phenomenon. Do you know why? It's because when I'm in my Odyssey, I'm surrounded by my Odyssey. When I'm in my Odyssey, I'm looking at my Odyssey. When I'm in my Odyssey, I'm thinking about my Odyssey. And that which I think about, that which I'm surrounded by, that which I fill my life with is what I see. You think about that you are surrounded by the presence of God. You think about that the spirit of the living God is inside of you. You think about the promises of God that are spoken over you. Guess what? You start thinking about it. You start acknowledging that you're surrounded by it. You start living because God sees you in it. Listen, you are going to start. It's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. There's a pastor who wrote this. Positive thinking is not a substitute for God. It's a response to who God is and what God has done in your life. And so Paul says, think about these things. Think about these things. When he says, think about these things in verse eight, in Greek, it's, it's written in the present tense. It's a present middle part participle. He says, think about these things. And the present tense in Greek means continually think about these things. It's not a one and done. You can't leave this place. I'm like, well, I thought about truth today, so my life is going to change. No, no, no. You think about truth every single time a lie pops up. 
Oh, I thought about something lovely, so I should have a lovely day. No, no, no. You got to consistently think about lovely things. When I was writing this message, I was thinking about everything in my life that's lovely. And I'm sitting in Starbucks and I'm writing this and I just start smiling as I'm writing my message. I'm like, when I'm by myself, I'm usually like, sometimes I can look, look, look a little mean mugging, especially when I'm concentrating, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm, uh, when I'm being very uh, focused and when I'm being very um, uh, determined, I can like mean mug. You know, I'm just like thinking. Anyone have like a resting mean face? Like just like, mm, you know, but, but I'm sitting in Starbucks and I'm thinking about lovely things. I can't help but just start smiling. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. It's concentrated focusing. And can I just say, this is one of the keys to overcoming temptation in your life, overcoming trials in your life. You can't merely resist it. You have to replace it because whatever you merely resist persists. You have to replace it. And so what does all this thinking do? I believe it inspires us to worship God and to love and serve people. Jesus says in Mark 12, 30, he says, the greatest commandments are this. You should love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. It's the first commandment. And the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. You have to fill your thoughts with that which God has established as true, lovely, pure, just, commendable, honorable in your life. Anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, we have to fix our attention. We have to pay attention to these things. We ha- it has to be a conscious decision because we live in a day where everything is stealing your attention right now. Everything. Last weekend, or I'm sorry, three weekends ago, the, the weekend I preached and we had the missionaries up here, uh, Barrett and Carrie Todd, the missionaries to Haiti. I'm sitting up here. I'm standing up here and they're talking. I'm standing up here and I kid you not, my phone, I must have gotten 45 text messages. My phone was nonstop vibrating in my pocket as Barrett and Carrie are talking. And guess what? My attention was drifting onto who's texting me right now? Is everyone okay? Did someone just die? What's happening? It was just my hunting buddies showing me pictures, like sending me pictures of all the bucks that the trail cams are getting right now. Thanks, guys. Thanks for sending that to me on Sunday morning. You know, I'm a pastor and I'm preaching. Super cool. Appreciate you. Love you. My attention was drifting. The world is getting so good at getting our attention, grabbing our attention, but there's no ethic to it. There's no morality to it. We have to pay attention to what God, to what God has established and promised and put in place in our lives. We have to pay attention to it. Because I tell you what, church, when we pay attention, it pays off. When we pay attention, it pays off. Okay, Paul says you got to practice. You've seen me. You've watched me. I just want to say this. Get a leader in your life. You need to have someone in your life that you want to be like. In your career, in your spirituality, in your parenting, in your marriage, you need to learn from people. I got people in my life. We got a married couple. We want to be like them. We got parents that we, that we know. We want to parent like them. I got pastors and ministers. I want to live like them. You have to get people in your life. And Paul says, you've seen me. You've heard me. You've learned from me. You've received from me. Put it into practice. A great football coach once said, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes 
permanent. Practice makes permanent. You got to practice it. You got to think it. You got to practice it. And you want to know what happens when you pay attention, how it pays off. Listen to how Paul closes verse 9. The God of peace will be with you. Notice Paul doesn't say the peace of God will be with you. He says the God of peace will be with you. And you will know it because you're thinking about him. You have to direct your thoughts. Church, he himself is with you when you think and put into practice the life that he created you for. And I just think, I, I just sent my kindergarten, or I just sent my son to kindergarten for the first time. He's not repeating kindergarten. It's his first time in kindergarten. I sent him to kindergarten. And as a parent, it's really hard to drop your kid off at school with seemingly, I mean, people that are seemingly strangers, trusting that they're taken care of. And I dropped him off when we do the car line and the bus stop. You know, parents, we go through it every year, sending our kids off and we don't get to go with them, but we have to send them. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 28? Go into all the world. And he says, and I'm with you. As you go, I'm with you. My son Judah, he came home last week and he had this book that he had to read and he had to read it three times. And it's a book with pictures. Can I get the picture? It's a book with pictures and no words. And he has to tell us the story of what he sees in the picture. And right here, um, he told us the story of the boy who had to go to kindergarten and his mom left him. And he was scared because his mom was leaving him. Hey, if you are a son or daughter of God, can I tell you something? That is not your reality. Your dad doesn't leave you. He's with you everywhere you go. Do you notice it? Are you paying attention, church? If you pay attention, it's going to pay off because you're going to know that the God of peace, not the peace of God, that's with you, but the God of peace, he himself, Jesus Christ, goes with you. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Those whose thinking is steadfast because they trust in you. Is anyone encouraged this morning? Is anyone challenged this morning? Does anyone know that God is with you? I believe this morning we need to respond by offering opportunity because you don't know if the God of peace is with you. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. The good news is this about Jesus. The good news is this, is that when God created you, he knew you before the foundations of the earth were laid. He knew you and he created you good. You are his son, you are his daughter, and he loves you. But your sin, your wrong decisions, your wrong thinking, it separates. And it creates guilt. And maybe you feel that guilt this morning. You're like, I'm not right with God this morning. You feel that feeling in your stomach. I'm not right with God. That's your sin. And your sin separates you from God. But Jesus came down, lived a perfect life, died on the cross. And, then, and when dying on the cross, he took on your sin. And he said, God, why have you forsaken me? You feel separated from God. But I got to tell you something, church, this morning, Jesus separated himself from God when he took your sin so that you would not have to be separated, but that you could be brought back into union with your heavenly father. And so Jesus provided love for you, forgiveness for you, power for you that you don't deserve. We call it grace in church, and it's amazing. And so it says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that's the great, that's just 
Another part of the great news that Jesus died, but he did not just die. He rose from the dead. He's alive today. He ascended into heaven. And he's seated at the right hand of the father. And this morning he's telling father God, they're forgiven. I covered them. They're good. And the Holy Spirit might be here this morning, or the Holy Spirit is here this morning, and it might be saying to you, it's time to give your life to Jesus. It's time to say, I'm following Jesus. If that's you, church, could you just raise your hand this moment? We want to pray with you. Uh, praise God. We see your hand. Come on. Come on. Let's clap. Let's celebrate. Is there anyone else this morning? saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. We want to celebrate you. We want to welcome you into the family of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me, church, and would you all repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner, that I've messed up, and I am sorry. I make a decision today to believe in you, that you lived, died, and rose again. And I invite you into my life to change me from the inside out. And I commit to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for this fresh start, this new life in you, Jesus. Amen and amen. So God, we thank you for the life change. God, we thank you that you are changing lives each and every single week. Lord, I pray, uh, God, I pray for every single person that made that decision. Know that raise, those that raise their hands, maybe those that just prayed that prayer out of authenticity and, and, and in their heart saying, God, I want that relationship with you. I want you to change me. God, we love you. We thank you and we worship you. You are a good God. And I thank you today. You go with us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, loud. Amen and amen.